watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and this week we have three movies for you. Annihilation, Game Night, and The Party. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. So short. Mmm. Mmm. Feels, feels long sometimes. Sometimes less long. Um, sometimes it is, it's strange when you're like, oh, I do a movie podcast, and at the beginning of it every week, I um, have to consider uh, my own um, mortality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really uh, embedded uh, force perspective. It really is a, a wonderful way to start a show. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I mean, I feel like it's setting an intention. Yeah, it's like, welcome to the binge, TikTok, the devil's grinning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing just fine. What's new with you, Jason? <laughs> Thoughts and prayers for Rebecca. Uh, you know, I am doing okay. Uh, as we are taping this, it is Sunday, February 25th, mm-hmm. and I just got back from a marathon day of, you'll never guess, podcast taping. Ah. Yes. Uh, guys, I think as I mentioned in a previous episode, uh, I was invited to participate in this thing called Nerd Rage, The Great Debates, uh, which is a sort of uh, a, a wild, well, it's an existing podcast. And what they were introducing is the idea of doing a March Madness style bracket. Where, uh, like, Quick question, what's March Madness? Um, I'm pretty sure it is a, a seasonal, regional, cold slash flu type thing. Uh, it's like mad cow disease, but it's more localized to that weird March weather where it's like end of winter, early spring. And so, and everyone's just like shut in dealing with the March madness. And so they just make brackets um, to while away the time until their health is restored. Yeah, you got it. It's is like that right? the Spanish flu. Great. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but only women get it. Oh, it used really? to be called the March hysteria, but now they've kind of... Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I guess that I wasted my time then, but... With all those um, inocula- inoculations. Yeah, but I mean, happy to participate anyway. So, uh, so brackets, so it's like 32 people are invited, and then it's, you know, whittled down round after round to a series of finals, and, um, and each person just picks a thing that they are nerdy about. It can be literally anything, as was demonstrated <laughs> by the people that I debated earlier today. I selected the TV show Strangers with Candy uh, to be my area of expertise, and I was pit against uh, a woman who selected John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars as hers. And uh, and guys, I won that round. Wow! I won that Wait, round. Is this a spoiler for the podcast? Um, I don't know that they maybe, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one's coming out first. So yeah. I'm just gonna throw it out there now. I won. And uh, what is this podcast about? Podcast called. It's called Nerd Rage: The Great Debates. Okay, and it is on Apple Podcasts. But and uh, though and so then you know you just have your debate, you and the one person that you're up against, and then there is another one-on-one that is in your little first part of the bracket, and then the winner of each of those have to go head to head, which is a bracket, which is a bracket, and except for they've been pairing everyone off against at least on the one-on-one level to try to make some kind of sense because mm. the programmers had no input or say into what we selected. We were completely free to pick whatever we wanted. So I picked Strange But Candy 
And the closest thing they could find from me was John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. And the two people facing off against uh, in the uh, other part of our bracket were debating the subjects of math, just in general, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and daylight savings time. And guys, earlier today, I debated Strangers of the Candy against daylight savings time. And I won. So suck it. Daylight savings time. You suck. We all know you suck. Uh, who in the world likes it? I don't know what the, what the defense of it could have been. Uh, I, I I was there, and I'm still not 100% clear on it. Um, the person who selected it is a very brilliantly funny person, and I think was almost using it to just like challenge herself mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to see like how she could defend daylight savings time in a debate. <laughs> and uh, and I really tried to just build a bridge between the two subject matters uh, in one of my comments. Uh, because the format is that one of you gets 90 seconds to make your initial remarks, then the other person gets 90 seconds to make their initial remarks, and then you get 60 seconds to rebut, and then they, they get 60 seconds to rebut, and then it throws the audience, and it's by a round of applause, who wins? That's the whole thing. And um, and so touring uh, that... It's a general old structured Lincoln-Douglas debate style. Mm-hmm. And so I managed to just mop the floor with daylight savings time in my two nice. and a half minutes. Uh, while also making some cogent points about how both Strange But Candy and Daylight Savings Time are sort of great textbook examples of why it's important to question authority and received wisdom. <laughs> uh, so uh, that was a treat. It was a lengthy treat. I was sitting in a house in Berkeley for five hours. And now here I am shortly thereafter taping a podcast. I'll tell you what, though, this podcast, it probably won't be as debatey. Um, um, because unfortunately this week I wasn't able to see any of the movies. So whatever you say goes. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> uh, yes. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm sorry that you weren't able to see the movies. Um, but what I did see um, just before we started taping is Jason caught me up on some of the, the more fun things the internet has to offer this week. Mm-hmm. Including the, the two new music videos by Janelle Bonet. Yes, um, Make Me Feel and Django Jane. So good. So good. Wow. Um, I'm so happy to uh, have been able to see those. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also caught Black Panther on Monday um, at a 9.30 a.m. showing on President's Day. And, in uh, Oakland. In Oakland at the theater where Ryan Coogler, the director, had had the premiere. Um, his He showed up at that premiere. And um, it was amazing. It was a line around the block at 930 in the morning when I went to go see it. I mean, it was President's Day, so the kids were off of school and there were a lot of kids there and their families, which was also really great to see. And then when I left, the next showing also had a um, line around the block. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was yeah. a really nice time. And I, and I was in a, kind of a... Sunny day, and I walk. I haven't really seen Oakland at all since I've moved there. I haven't had any time to like, le- except go from like my house to Bart, or my house to the car, or the coffee shop on the corner. Mm-hmm. And so I got to walk around the Grand Lake Theater area, which was really nice. I went to a, a bookstore uh, where they let me uh, go up and have a tour of the pri- uh, the rare book room, which really. <laughs> If, now, is that something they advertise or were you just like sniffing around and you're like, I nope. think there's more to see. Let I me sniffed, see it. Basically, I scooby-dooed it. Uh, oh my scooby-dooed God. my way up to the, the, the room. It was nice because I, so I feel, I feel validated. It's like um, a guy and his father that owned this store. And there was like, there's like a stairway and a little, you know, like a uh, chain that says, you know, rare book rooms, like, like do, do not enter. And so I was, I was up in the front and I was buying the books that I was buying. And I could see that the father, uh, an older man was like looking at the books that I bought and like doing a judgment hmm. and that's when i was like oh well like when is the book rare bookstore uh rare book section open and, and the son was like well the guy's here i just say this day and then the the older guy like looked at my books and he looked at me and he was like 
do you want me to take you up there? And I was like, ooh, I made it. <laughs> now, which book do you think it was that really pushed him over the edge? Was it Cat Yoga for One or? <laughs> um, why did you going to push him over the edge? I did. I got some like weird, um, it was like a one-off 60s print of this like Marxist um, student pamphlet thing. Sure. I think that could have been it. Mm. Um, what else did I get? Um, oh, this story about like um, Argentinian feminist writers from the 70s. Yeah. That could have been it. Um, then I ended up picking a first edition of Jean Genet um, oh. at the Ford by Sartre. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was a really big so day for me. So he clocked you for being appropriately pretentious to yep. gain access to yep. this special room. He, yeah. I, yeah. It was a secret combination of uh, real uh, douchery that really got me there. <sighs> Good and for then, you. See, you're part of the Oakland Intelligentsia now. Ooh. Uh, but I didn't buy a tote because I'm not that I didn't go that far. No, no, because then those things just pile up. Let's be real. I have a tote full of totes. At this point. Yes, yes. We need to stop the tyranny of totes. <laughs> Afterwards, I uh, found one other thing a place around the corner um, where I feel like you know I feel good that I was able to go there without um, a chip on my shoulder. It was good vibes. You know, guys, as you may recall. <laughs> Rebecca had quite an uphill battle with Good Vibrations, our friendly local neighborhood sex toy co-op, uh, <laughs> over a nefarious double charge that was leveled against her while making a pretty considerable purchase. Hundreds uh, of dollars. <laughs> Here's the thing. Rebecca doesn't like to use anything twice. <laughs> so just one and done. Uh, she has a tote full of totes and a <laughs> know, anyway. trash bag full of wealth. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was able to go in there, and, uh, and you know, I left the day with a with a with a bag full of you know used books, uh, <laughs> findings of good vibes, and some coffee. And I was like, this bag is really represents me. In the in that this bag sees me. Uh. This is like a, a, a haul video of my life, basically. Uh, it was great. I, I was a little confused. Just at the beginning of that, that last bit of phrasing that you did, because you were like, oh, I finally went back to good vibes and I left with a whole bunch of used. And I was like, used? <laughs> what? See, they do let you return stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Just not me. I mean, it, they're a green place. Uh, so Yeah, I it's mean. like when you drop off your glasses or batteries somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't, yeah. they, they're sick of me just flushing everything down the toilet. Right. No, no, no. Aren't we all? <laughs> That's where half of our episodes are gone. <laughs> <laughs> So many fish die that way. <laughs> um, shall we get started with our um, movie reviews? Let's do it. Um, the first movie this week is Annihilation. A biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition where the laws of nature don't apply. Can you describe its form? No. Was it carbon-based? Did it communicate with you? It reacted to me. You really have no idea what it was. Annihilation. Annihilation. I feel like I say that weird. Annihilation. You, yeah, you hit the H every time. I do. I um, like it. it reminds me of, uh, what's there's another word that I say real weird? Uh, well, we'll get to it. When it comes up, it'll be a surprise <laughs> for us all. Um, annihilation. Is it white? I believe it is. <laughs> Um, this is from the director of Ex, uh, Ex Machina and Never Let Me Go, 28 Days Later, 
28 mm. days. That was, man, they really that whole situation got fucked up with the the zombie movie and the and the Sandra Bullock rehab thing. comedy. Yeah, really mm. hard to tell which one's which. You're speaking for yourself right now, I believe. No, I think yeah. I've had this conversation with other people. Oh, like, other which people one's the like, one with the? Which one's the the one with the rage zombies and which one's the one where Sandy B's like I need to dry out? And she like drives that car into that house. Oh man, is that supposed to be a comedy? You know, and honestly, I don't know which one is more upsetting to watch at the end of the day. Mm, yeah. Uh, because it's a question of relatability, really. And scale. And scale. Scale and scope. <laughs> uh, yeah, Alex Garland. Uh, good job remembering all those movies he directed. I was thinking like, yeah, he directed Ex Machina. And before that, he wrote the screenplay for Train Spotting. I think. Oh, he did. I didn't realize he was that like uh, I think old? he did. Am I confusing him with someone else? It's entirely possible. Uh, but I think that Ex Machina was the first one that he both wrote and directed. Mm, uh, should be a word for that. Um, yeah, other than just writer-director. You would think it would happen enough that we would have a word for it. Like, directed. And yet, yep, yeah. no, I'm wrong. Um, I got confused, so The Beach. Uh, he, oh, that's the Leo DiCaprio one? And that was also Danny Boyle. That was like... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so he wrote the novel um, that uh, became The Beach. And in my mind, he fused with Danny Boyle in that moment. Oh, that happens. So, no, he did not write. Transpotting was written by Irvine Welsh. Uh, and apology, apologies. See, I'm just continually offending either Ireland or Scotland. One of the two, or both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On a good day. Um, yes, annihilation. Taking a task about this on Twitter recently by Were you? by one David Fitzgerald. You saw it. Oh yeah, yeah, you did that. Yes, uh, I uh, friend of the show, Irish friend of the show, created a Regina George meme about me that said, "Raise your hand if you ever felt personally victimized by Jason Leroy's Irish accent." I mean, that Liam Neeson thing needs needs to go. <laughs> he needs to go. Every, everyone but you said it was good. Although apparently David didn't think it was good either. <laughs> Either offending a group of people, but everyone seems to like it. Listen to me. Um, <laughs> I liked when we. I liked being able to do the karaoke with you when we just threw out the different voices. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. See, you you want to have your cake and eat it too. You want to just be able to you know wrap me on the knuckles about it right now and then just call it out in the middle of karaoke and be like, sing it like Liam Neeson. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's what I like. Yeah. Um, Annihilation, Natalie Portman here. Um, basically, um, it's hard to tell where um, where this is dissimilar from Arrival. Yes. From the trailer. No? I would say that this movie is for people who found Arrival too warm. <laughs> that was like the most... If you found Arrival entirely too emotional and too coherent and too clear about what's happening inside of its story, you will love Annihilation. I mean, I guess it's an ex machina-y. Yeah, well, I mean, Ex Machina was a lot more, um, you know, it was so much, it's like a very claustrophobic story, mm-hmm. you know, since it all takes place in that guy's house, in Oscar Isaac's house. And I will also say... Ex Machina, I think, was the only time I was ever not attracted to Oscar Isaac in a movie. Because of his shaved head or because of the dancing? Um, Because I do not like a beard with a shaved head, especially like a a bigger, like a a more, uh, a fuller beard. And he also, it looked like, I think they made him gain weight for that movie. Mm -hmm. And he just, yeah, he looked gross. And Mm. I watched The Last Jedi again last night for the second time. And I spent the entire movie just making those noises you hate. Oh yeah! Whenever uh-huh. he was on screen, because, oof. Um. So yeah, but Ex Machina was you know a much more contained story. It's very claustrophobic, and um and it was uh in this movie is wildly far 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 more ambitious in scale and scope. 
<laughs> as previously mentioned, than Ex Machina. There's a lot more going on here. You know, Ex Machina was, uh, you know, had a lot of ideas um, and obsessions and visual motifs and everything, and it played them out in the sort of, you know, in this hot house setting. Whereas Annihilation is really much more interested in a kind of like world building. Hmm. Um, and we're taken on this world adventure um, through the lens of Natalie Portman and her character yes. as a uh, biologist, biologist, yep. um, which is a just a fancy word for scientist. Mm-hmm. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> she uh, she's she's pulled in after her husband is um, uh, disappeared. Um, well, what happens is thank you. So there's. <laughs> No, please uh, continue, Rebecca. I'll do. I know. I was like, I'm perfectly happy to let you just try to guess based on the trailer <laughs> what happens in the movie. And I'll just just guide you here and there, and and, yes. and we'll before you know it, we'll be at the end. But uh, so what happens is that there is um something from space. Str- <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad the person who saw the movie can clarify that the whole thing for us. Thank you. Please go on. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, I'm going to speak in, you know, in the terms of mystery uh, that the movie uses, but not that you really know by the end what's happened anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, so there's like a, a, an asteroid of sorts that looks like an asteroid, at least, strikes this, hurls out of the sky and strikes this lighthouse on a shore along the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, and then apparently over the course of several years, it has created this area that is called the Shimmer, uh, uh, which is not, as I initially thought, a drag makeup convention uh, <laughs> in South Florida. In South Florida, but actually, no, it is this kind of. It's like this realm where it everything from the outside looking in it looks more or less the same, but it's surrounded by this. Um, it looks like an sort of like an oil bubble slick. Uh, and, but it's always moving and it's been gradually expanding. It's like, it's like, it's in a, it's in a circle and it's just gradually expanding outward. And, um, the government has been able to keep a lid on it. Uh, but they've been sending people in and Oscar Isaac is sent in who plays Natalie Portman's husband. And, uh, and as the film begins, it's been a year and she has, and he's been given up, uh, for dead. And so when we first meet Natalie, she is like a grieving widow, still a year on. She hasn't been able to really get her life going again. She is a professor, uh, but you know her. You know we see that her her life is very much in a shambles still. But then, very abruptly, he comes home, and she can't believe her good luck. She can't believe that he's alive. But then, immediately, it's clear that something is wrong. And, um, and then when he begins to have a sort of like, oh, just a full bodily breakdown and she's driving him to a hospital, they are driven off the road by a bunch of government vehicles and basically apprehended. And then she finds out that there is this secret government project, that there is this, um, project X that has been working on trying to make sense of what the shimmer is. Um, and that it turns out that Oscar Isaac's character is the only person who has ever been able to, who has ever left it mm. alive. And uh, everyone else has has perished within it. And so it's made it impossible for them to get to gather any kind of data about it because no one lives to tell the tale. And um, and, you know, it's, it's nothing but mysterious to them because when they look at it, it looks normal. Um, and so uh, so Natalie uh, is signs on. 
as a biologist to go on the next group, to join the next group that are going to go into the Shimmer and try to conduct some research and get some answers. Uh, she is joined in this by the woman who recruited her, a psychologist played by Jennifer Jason Lee. And there are uh, alias my drag mother. Mm-hmm. Of Jennifer my- Jason Leroy. Jennifer Jason Leroy. And uh, and then she's also joined by uh, by some other uh, badass professional ladies who have relevant skills uh, for the task at hand, played by one Ms. Tessa Thompson, hmm. uh, who we just watched, mm-hmm. just having the time of her life in the Make Me Feel video, uh, which guys, like, it's a time to be alive right now. It really is. We live in a world where Janelle Monae and Tessa Thompson appear to have gone public about their relationship. In a music video. And yes, and made a music video in which they just couldn't look more gorgeous. Amazing. I mean, wow. Tessa Thompson in this movie, unfortunately, is much more of a of a wilting flower, if you will. Uh, and uh, but so not the biggest impact, but she's there. Um, Gina Rodriguez, on the other hand, from Jane the Virgin, plays a lesbian. Oh. And uh, and it's funny because just like but that, that, that's her expertise that she brings to the table. So we have a biologist, a lesbian. <laughs> yes. They're all dressed like Ghostbusters and they go in the shimmer. <sighs> yeah, I mean, like it's. I mean, you, the trailer told you it all, I guess. But <laughs> um, Gina Rodriguez uh, seems to embody lesbian by wearing a series of unflattering uh, camo pants with white tank tops tucked mm. in with mm-hmm. a thick belt, mm-hmm. uh, and a sort of like a half-shaved kind of updo. And just a generally brusque manner. Okay. I always love yeah. it. I always love seeing the choices actresses make when they play lesbians physically. <laughs> uh, like how they carry themselves? Yes. Yeah. Because there's always a marked change. Uh, and maybe Janelle and Tessa can help, de- you know, to undermine that and to make us think differently about the physical characterization of lesbian characters. But going back, I remember in Gus Van Sant's Shot for Shot remake of Psycho, Julianne oh, yeah. Moore, it was said that she had made me the decision that her character would be a lesbian now. But given that they were not changing any dialogue or any actions, the choice is manifested quite literally in her walk and nothing else. Oh, I need to see that. Oh, it's great. <laughs> no, but Gina brings some 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 some, some fiery lesbian swagger to uh, to this movie. And I was living. <laughs> and then there's another lady who's some Swedish person I don't know. So, um, and she is the first to go. Spoiler. And her sexuality is not defined in the movie. No, no. Unclear. Unclear. Just general Scandinavian, you know, airiness. Uh, airiness, not airiness. I know. <laughs> Just to be clear. Okay, so we have a biologist. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> a Tessa Thompson, a lesbian, and an Aryan? Yes. <laughs> Genocide. Genocide. <laughs> I'm not hearing it, Liz. <laughs> Let me just organize my Jenna babies and we can proceed. So, uh, yeah, so, and we'll just take a moment here to acknowledge how awesome it is Mm -hmm. that this is a movie about five women on this, like, this sort of action-adventure sci-fi quest. And uh, that is rare. And it's an inclusive group of women. It's racially diverse. It's age-diverse. That is a remarkable thing. And these are also women who are not... They are not dressing for men mm-hmm. on this quest. They are wearing Ghostbuster-like outfits, right? And, yeah. I mean, they're, everyone's wearing very, yeah, just like very sort of shapeless, unflattering clothing. They're not wearing makeup. Jumpsuits. 
yeah, a lot. Well, yeah, some jumpsuits, some, yeah, usually like, you know, or jumpsuit, like, you know, peel down to be just be like a tank top or whatever. Uh, but not like a skin tight tank top, mm-hmm. not no spaghetti right. straps. Uh, <laughs> sure. They asked, but they were told no. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like it is, it's great because they are, they are, they're not held to any kind of movie standard of glamour at all. Mm-hmm. Um, although Jennifer Jason Lee's hair does look very good. <laughs> She's got some sort of Connie Britton hair thing going on. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so they, uh, they go into the shimmer. And, uh, and they begin, you know, just taking tests and, and trying to just take the pH or whatever. And, uh, you know, whatever it is that scientists do when they go into a shimmer. Um, <laughs> I'm no shimmerologist. But, and, uh, and, and, you know, it becomes clear that sort of what's happening inside of the shimmer uh, has to do with the way that cells are reproducing. There's some sort of refraction going on. Um, that is causing cells to to reproduce at, at alarming rates and to produce alarming results. And so the whole thing feels, certainly it's not difficult to think like, oh, is this some sort of, you know, cancer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. metaphor? Um, and uh, and then, yeah, and then just there's a lot, there's some very, very strange creatures they come across that have been mutated because there's a genetic mutation that's occurring because of the way that the cells are reproducing and refracting. And uh, some of the creatures are adorable, and some are some of the scariest things you'll ever see. I saw a tweet that was like, I, like who has seen Annihilation yet? I, I need to talk about something that I don't think I've ever seen on screen before. Uh-huh. Um, and I never, I didn't check in to see what it was, but it, it has definitely piqued my interest about the movie. Yes, yes, there is, yes. <laughs> there is, yeah, there's one scene in particular that is by, by far and away, uh, well, there's a few gory scenes in the movie, but there's one involving a creature that is just blood chilling uh so uh and and yeah that's probably as much as i should say about the plot um in terms of you know before it starts to veer off into Mm -hmm, more mm -hmm. spoilery territory although i think the thing about this movie is that it is not a movie that's going to rush to tell you anything Mm -hmm. uh it, it is very slow very quiet uh and yeah it really takes its time and and i and i think that which is all good and well, but I think that the audiences, if you're, you know, I think experienced, discerning viewers start to pick up just through the language of the director. Oh, this guy's not going to tell us anything, is he? And, mm. you know, because, you, you know, like you get good when, you know, like people who watch movies, you know, you can just start to pick up when you're watching. you like, oh, this motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I bet they're not going to have any resolution for this at all. Mm-hmm. And um, and the movie definitely ends in sort of like a, a flurry of like, well, wait, huh? And, uh, and, you know, the final, it's sort of right up until the final shot. The final shot is is sort of one of those nice kind of like, ooh, type, like, type, type jolt moments right before the credits roll. Um, but this is based on the first book in a series. Uh, and uh-huh. in theory, there could be more movies. Uh, but if there aren't, which I feel like might not happen just because I don't think this movie is doing like gangbusters block, uh, box office, uh, then I can't say that this is going to like stand, you know, very high in the pantheon of, of, of sci-fi. Uh, there's just kind of not enough to it in a way. Hmm. And it doesn't really say anything. Uh, Interesting. You know, it doesn't People really... have been loving the book. Yeah, I, I know. Apparently, the book is much better, and I've had no shortage of lengthy conversations via text, Facebook Messenger, in person about all the many, 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 many ways that the movie is different. 
And, you know, and this gets into the whole whitewashing controversy a bit because Alex Garland's process apparently was to take a galley of the first book. So just literally a galley hadn't published yet. And he went off and he read it and he was like, I want to make this movie. And then he just like basically planted his head in the sand and was like, I don't want to know anything else about the published version. I don't want to read anything else that comes out after it. I'm just going to make my version of this story. And, um, and so I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak to the changes cause I haven't read the book. I'm not here to review the book. Uh, but you know, we do know now that in the second book, not in the first, but in the second one, he did, uh, specify the race, the racial background of Natalie Portman's character and Jennifer Jason Lee's character. Mm. And neither of them were, were fully white. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but you know, which I, I think genuinely is an honest oversight in this situation. Um, but it would be weird to continue right, right. with those characters now that there's more known. Uh, you know, and I guess that's the author decided to reveal things in the time that he did. You know, because in the first book, they don't even have names. The characters don't even have names. Hmm. They're, they're referred to as like the biologist. The lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think and she for w- some reason Tessa Thompson. I don't know if they call her <laughs> that. Apparently, yeah. They from what I from what I've heard, they've basically fully kind of invented those characters. Like hmm. you know, like there's there's people who are in that kind of standing in the place of that character in the book, but it seems like they just kind of garland off in his own direction with the way he characterized those. So it's like fan fiction. I guess in a way, and he just took in the same. I mean, you know, Stanley Kubrick when he took The Shining, you know, he made his own story out of it. Um, you know. Famously, Stephen King was pissed uh, that he wasn't more faithful to the text. Mm. and But that's one of the best horror movies of all time. This is not. Uh, this is not going to stand with The Shining. Ooh, so in, that's, where we, that's where we're coming to with this. This is not going to stand with The Shining as like great examples of directors deviating from source material and making magic with it. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just, it just is, when you're watching it, you can't help but admire the way it's sort of almost creating a new language, uh, you know, visually and, mm. uh, and, you know, it's the, you know, the mood, the atmosphere, the cinematography, uh, the music, uh, the performances, you know, it's all effective in a way. Uh, but then it kind of amounts to kind of like a shrug. Like it's one of those movies where from scene to scene, I, one moment would be just like, Oh, this is really good. And then be like, is this terrible? <laughs> uh, really went back and forth on it. And uh, and at the end, I was just kind of like, ah, all right, well, that's done. Uh, that sounds a little bit like uh, Cloverfield to me. The mm. newest Cloverfield. Yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely a way better movie than that. Uh, so I don't want to create the same. Well, review. you almost gave that one to send it back, didn't you? I did give you that one to send it back. back. Oh, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, no, this is this is this is you know ten times the movie that movie is. Um, but it's just kind of, it's almost more maddening because it has a lot of sort of the signifiers and the feel of like a great movie, but it just doesn't come through hmm. uh, in the writing. That said, what are your thoughts about recommending it? Um, I would say consume moderation. Okay. I have seen there are some people out there who love it. I have a colleague who has named this his number one movie of the year so far. Wow. Uh, but you know, I I think it's. I could see it being very polarizing for audiences. I feel like word of mouth is going to be poisonous because mm. I think the average moviegoer is going to be very impatient with it. And it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an art film, you know, yeah. uh, it's very much, uh, it's more of an art film than anything else. And so I think average moviegoers are going to be turned off by it. And the cinema score I haven't checked. I have to imagine it's bad. Uh, so, but, uh, but yeah, so I'd say consume moderation for annihilation. 
And it's rated R for violence, bloody images, language, and some sexuality. That brings us to our second movie, which is our pick of the week, Game Night. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of, of the week. week. Max and Annie's weekly game night gets kicked up a notch when Max's brother Brooks arranges a murder mystery party, complete with fake thugs and federal agents. So when Brooks gets kidnapped, it's all supposed to be a part of the game. As a competitor set out to solve the case, they start to learn that neither the game nor Brooks are what they seem to be. The friends soon find themselves in over their heads as each twist leads to another unexpected turn over the course of one chaotic night. Do we follow him? It seems like him. Ryan, you go first. I'm scared. Lou. Not a joke. You people are in real danger. Is this gun real? Oh, oh no, Andy. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Blood! I hate gay night! Oh, shit. So we'll take a little bath. Oh, it's so much worse. Not with an ass like that, you don't. Oh. Well, thank you. Yes! Oh, no, he died! This is instructions on how to remove a bullet. He didn't have rubbing alcohol, so I got you this lovely shard. Good idea. Way to pivot. And then a squeaky toy. For the pain. Pick of the week. Coming at you with Game Night, um, a comedy. That's always a tough one. A comedy pick of the week is an extra pick of the week because that is the hardest hurdle to cross for Jason Leroy. It can be. It can be. Uh, And this one does it. Game Night jumps the hurdle. It is funny. Okay, let's wrap it up. Uh, It's uh, rated R for... Yes. Uh, No, Game Night is funny. Fucking funny. It is definitely one of the best studio comedies I've seen in a while. Uh, and it is a great idea. Uh, is that one of those ideas where you're like, oh, how did anyone think of this earlier? Because, I mean, game nights are mm. ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. I mean, who am I? I mean, like between game nights, trivia nights, mm-hmm. that is just the world we live in. Mm-hmm. And uh, That's it. When's the last time you went to a game night? Hmm, when is the last time I went to a game? Well, I don't live in that particular world because I don't like it. Uh, Why not? Oh, I'm just not crazy. Well, I have like, I, I, I can't remember I talked about this in the show before, but when I think about board games, I think about my college years uh, when I was living in a Christian community house. And instead of going out and doing college things, we would just stay home every night and play board games. Oh. So I associate board games with oppression. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it's triggering for me, but I get that for many people, it's not at all. And that actually really was a steep learning curve for me to learn that there are, for many people who had fully, fully had every right and freedom to uh, consume substances and have sex and be uh, inappropriate and reckless, 
they still chose to play <laughs> games. It was not given to them as a substitute for those other things. And I think it's one of those things that like when people are in their 30s, you can't quite do those. Uh, you're not going to go right. out partying, doing drugs all night. Oh, you age into it. You're with somebody and you're like, oh, let's hang out with another couple friend or two. What and are we like, going to do? What are we going to do? Um, what's an excuse other than just sitting around talking shit and drinking wine? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Especially if you're playing like Cards Against Humanity, which facilitates the shit talking. Mm-hmm. Or at least gets your minds thinking all nasty. There's also been like a whole like, like a resurgence of new uh, board games, I think. Mm. Um, are there any of them that you still enjoy, or they are pretty much all just a pile of uh, bad memories? I will say that we have none in this house. Uh, mm-hmm. we, well, we have actually we have the we have the board game version of Jane Lynch's game show Hollywood Game Night. <laughs> um, and I, we got it because I was like, oh, that would be fun. I want to be on that show. Just like a rube. Just like it was my first time ever like seeing tie-in merchandise and just being like, oh my God, yes, I would love to feel the experience of playing this in my own home. And then I bought it and I'm like, oh, this is really shitty. Um, and then we have like a starter, you know, like the basic Cards Against Humanity pack, which I mean, I feel basic having just mm. because I see so much shade from like the Lewis Vertels of the world on Twitter against Cards Against Humanity as like an excuse for like, you know, uh, unimaginative people to think of naughty things that aren't their own ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but whatever. I mean, like, I think that's elitist. And I personally think that you can have a lot of fun with your friends playing Cards Against Humanity. The best part about Cards Against Humanity is is not like that. I mean, for some people it is that. But the best part of it is when is trying to craft trying to be like i know this person who's yes. guessing so well i know the thing of all of these like weird gross crazy things i know the one that they're gonna think is the funniest that's well said that's well said that's a good point uh, because that's the name of the game uh you know is to be like i know exactly what kind of fucked up you are mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i think that you will go uh 10 times out of 10 for the rape joke always and, uh, and you can just judge your friend later mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i'm on board with that uh, but no, I think maybe last time I was visiting Scott's family, we did a game night or it was like, maybe just, you know, just like Thanksgiving after dinner, you just play a game mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, whenever I'm back home with some friends, usually that happens, but it's not something that I ever, I'm just like, let's, I would never in a million years say, let's have a game night. Uh, but with that said, that's part of what is so funny about this movie is, uh, you know, is watching this sort of motley crew of friends come together to do these game nights. And uh, and the central couple in the film was played by uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, and they are a couple because they met at a trivia night, and they both like sort of like jumped up at the same time to answer a question and like looked at each other and sort of saw themselves reflected back to each other and like the wild-eyed aggressive <laughs> ambition, uh, and so they've been very intense and militant about doing these game nights with their friends ever since, and um, and you know just the concept of game night brings up so many just opportunities for. Um, communication, miscommunication, projected frustration, uh, you unexpected know, uh, loss. competitiveness. Yes, so you know, so it's it's a real uh, you know uh, smorgasbord uh, <laughs> of that kind of thing. So in this situation, uh, we have the two of them, and then they have uh, one other uh, couple friend uh, played by Lamorne Morris from New Girl mm-hmm. and Kylie Dunbury, and then they have a character played by Billy Magnuson who is the breakout star of the film. And then he... Ingrid Goes West? He is an Ingrid Goes West, mm-hmm. yes. And he was in, in uh, and he was in his woods as well. Mm-hmm. And he was in The Meddler. Uh, but, uh, and he kind of has a, a rotating lineup of girls that he brings over to these parties because he's like a total himbo. 
And then for the the main party that we are watching for the majority of the film, he has asked a woman who he works with who's older than him, who he invited because he thinks that she's smart and uh, and that she'll be able to help him out. That woman is played by Sharon Horgan from <gasps> yes. Catastrophe. Oh, that's amazing. It is her far and away, her biggest film role to date. And it is, I cannot describe how whatever, just how good it felt seeing her in this movie. And she and Billy Magnuson are heaven as a comedy duo. Billy Magnuson in this movie cemented his sort of place in my mind as like a hot, hunky, straight version of... Oh, I Met Your Mother? No, of, oh, okay. of, of John Early. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He's like a super ripped, hot, straight John Early. Um, uh, which, you know, which is a, a compliment. The opposite of John Early. Which is which is a compliment to Bill Magnuson because his humor his, is so, uh, his humor is so kind of insane. Like the energy levels he gives off whenever mm. he's like doing a bit. Uh, you know, for as good looking as he is, he is wildly funny. Uh, and he is, he plays just such a fucking idiot in this movie (laughs) and he plays it with so much charm. Uh, he's incredible. And that's good to see that he can be charming as well. Cause I feel like the part of Ingrid goes west. Oh man, you want to kill him. Creepy and scary and, um, in like an, you know, like a not, um, like a violent, like a, just a worse kind of guy, scary way. And I think that's something that him and John early have in common is they both have a really unpredictable energy. Mm, mm -hmm, Like they're mm -hmm. both very wiggly in a way. Like you never know Mm -hmm. what you're going to get with them. Like their instincts are their own. And, uh, and so for him and him and Sharon Horgan playing off of each other is, is perfect because I mean, she can bob and weave with the best of them. And so they are terrific. So, our premise here is uh, that uh, in addition to the competitiveness that Jason Bateman has against his fellow game nighters, he also has it all the more against his older brother, who's played by Kyle Chandler from Brian, mm. you know, coach, coach. Uh, playing wildly against type, uh, who is, you know, this very successful, wealthy, rich dude. And Jason Bateman feels very inferior compared to his brother. Uh, but then one day the brother is like, oh, come over to my beautiful mansion, bring all your game night friends, we'll do a game night you'll never forget. And uh, and so they do, but then in a, a whoopsie-daisy uh, mishap, the uh, there had been um, sort of like a fake kidnapping planned. Uh, like it, so it's, it's almost like it was going to he was going to turn it into the game the yeah, adventure the movie Douglas yeah the movie? adventure movie yeah uh, so it was going to turn into like some like poor man's um, you know version of the game uh, I don't think there was going to be any actual sort of like kidnapping to Mexico uh, which I think is what happens in the game right doesn't Michael Douglas like wake up and he's just like in like some shack in like the Mexican so. desert it's been a long time since I've seen that movie um, but it was his brother that also set yes, that up that, right? was his that brother movie well. was great at the time it like yes. freaked me out yeah like when he shows up at the end and it's like the gala yeah, and everyone's yeah, just yeah. like applauding and yes. he's like all crazy eyed and filthy right and Sean Penn's like hey you made it and Deborah Cara Unger's there oh Deborah Cara Unger I would rewatch that it's um, on Criterion oh nice oh yes mm, interesting uh, so but uh, and the game the game is a fine movie but Game Night's also a fine movie and uh, so even though we have this sort of traditional kind of like uh oh they think it's a joke but it's actually real uh, which also happened in Rough Night mm-hmm. another night movie another night comedy of the past year and uh, but then but just the way the actors play it the way it's written the dialogue in this movie is really really it's fast it's funny it's quippy it's referential the actors are all so fucking good at, at playing it 
And uh, so even though we're familiar with the scenario in terms of like when we're watching Kyle Chandler be like violently taken from his home um, while they all sit there and like, you know, like give notes on the acting uh, <laughs> and like eat, go go looking for cheese, uh, you know, and we know <laughs> this is not a this is not part of the show. Um, and But, you know, just the way they play it is hysterical and then you know then we just have this sort of just guaranteed you know gripping you know engrossing story that plays out where we're like what's gonna happen you know how are they how are they gonna get him back when will they figure out that this is not a joke mm-hmm. uh and then lots of twists in the final act lots of twists and it's just and it's just it's just funny all the way through it's definitely like a night from hell type story mm-hmm. uh you know lots of things go wrong there's there's all there's blood uh, you know, it's, it's, this is a hard R studio comedy, uh, but it just does it right. It does it right. Uh, and there's, uh, Jesse Plemons, mm-hmm. uh, also. So it's a Friday Night Lights reunion. We have Coach and Lance, and, uh, he plays the next door neighbor who is a police officer who's, uh, has, has gotten divorced and is very lonely and is just incredibly creepy and, and monotone. And uh, is kind of like always sensing that he's being disinvited from game night. And so he's <laughs> kind of looking for ways to get back at them for that. Uh, one terrific thing about this movie that has been mentioned in a few places is that it finally gives Rachel McAdams the chance to be funny again. Hmm. And boy, does she do it. She is so fucking funny in this movie. Like, and she just looks like she's having a ball. You know, like we all... I think, you know, there's the world's divided into two kinds of people. People who fell in love with her in The Notebook and people who fell in love with her in Mean Girls. Mm, yeah, and, I, and I think Hollywood seems to have paid more attention to The Notebook fans uh, because she tends to get cast in a lot of romantic roles. Um, and a lot of like, someone today said, oh, she, you know, she's she's played many time, many time traveling wives. <laughs> she's really got the corner on the market of time traveling wives. Um, but uh, but finally, in this movie, she gets to just get back in touch with that impeccable comic timing and delivery that she had in Mean Girls that made Regina George the epic, iconic character that she is. And uh, and it is this is I mean, it's not a Regina George character, but it is a chance to see her cut loose and it is terrific to see it sounds like the only thing this movie is missing is uh, tiffany haddish that is what is missing um that would be great i've heard that she has a movie coming that she and melissa mccarthy are making a film together get out no that's a different movie oh, okay um that's already out but yeah uh, supposedly that is happening uh and because like like she said to oprah on the clip we just watched <laughs> her world is full of opportunity I feel like that's a new criteria we need to think about when we're uh, looking at comedies. Like, this comedy is amazing. Would it have been better with Tiffany Haddish in it mm. as well? And the answer will always be yes. Yeah. There's, so, there's nothing where it wouldn't be. Um, it's good to keep in mind. It is. It is. But, but yeah. No, I was just tickled, delighted by this film. Very, very, very funny. Game Night is rated R for language, sexual references, and some violence. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which seems sort of similar. The Party. Janet hosts an intimate gathering of her friends to her London home to celebrate her political ascension. After her acerbic best friend and others arrive, some with dramatic news to share, an announcement by Janet's husband provokes a series of revelations. As a sophisticated soiree starts to unravel, a night that began with champagne soon ends with arguments, shouting, and a pointed gun. April. Congratulations. Thank you. Where's Janet? 
doing a Thatcher, proving she can still rustle up a canopy in the kitchen when necessary. It's been too long. Possibly. It's a triumph for womankind. Well, for any kind, for that matter. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm a bit surprised. Really? Well, I am. I may not believe in politics, but I absolutely do believe in you. What is it, darling? I'm leaving you as a woman. <laughs> During the campaign while I was on the road and you kept telling me I could do it. You did do it. And you were doing it while I did it. <laughs> we have another group of friends, this time in a different place, in a different uh, social class, a different age group. Mm-hmm. Um, different set of actors, some which are also hilarious. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, we have the party. We have it. Jason, invite me to it. I don't know. I don't know if I should. Ooh. Uh, so this movie, I went into thinking that I was going to like it a fair bit more than I did. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, we, 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 it's, oh, okay. So this movie, first <laughs> of all, is a length that I cannot and will not abide for a movie. This movie is 71 minutes long. That sounds great. I feel like there are a lot of movies I wish were 70 minutes, 71 minutes long. I refuse. I, I am very against this. Call me old-fashioned, but a movie needs to be at least 80 minutes long. At least 80 minutes. Like, be 80 minutes or be 20 minutes. There is no in-between as far as I'm concerned. There is no. Like... That's a TV show. That's what that is. <laughs> that's a, that's a ninety-minute episode of American Crime Story with commercials taken out. That's what seventy-one minutes is. Do you not like those little tiny cans of Coke that are just smaller than the regular ones? I mean, this probably comes back to the fact that I do not care for short films, um, just in general. Like, I, I, I'm just like, give me a feature film or give me an episode of a TV show. Hmm. Don't give me a movie that's the length of a TV show. That's not what I'm interested in. And I realize these are wildly arbitrary definitions and measurements. Um, that I argued against earlier today <laughs> against uh, Daylight Savings. But uh, yeah, 71 minutes is an absolutely unacceptable length for a feature-length film, and I am very angry about it. Uh, I hear that. Um, yes, this okay. movie is a one-act play, is what well, it yeah, is. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I feel like that's the perfect length for something that is a that is like a play style, which is which are some of the, I don't know. It should know. just be a play. Well, the, the, book, okay. the fact that this isn't based on a play is insane. Why would it, you ever vote for eight minutes more of fluff? If they if you can cut it down, you cut it down. No, because I think that the movie that they are left with, I'm not convinced. Like I would need to see those eight minutes. You know, like I, you know, I feel like they could have done a lot more with the characters mm. than they do. Um, you know, and but you know, although it's it it's a really small story. I think my my thing is this is not a movie. This is not enough ah. to make a movie. This is a one act play. This is not a movie. Movies need more than one act, and this does not have more than one act. It is one act. What's that um, act about? That, it even <laughs> it even ends like the end of this movie is such the end of a one act play with like a last minute like oop and there's that thing. You know how one act plays always end with this one little like zing and then like the curtain falls and you're like whoa and then the play is over. Ugh, you're not cultured. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see enough one act plays, Rebecca. <laughs> well, what can I say? <laughs> no uh so okay so yeah so we have here as you mentioned Kristen scott thomas plays a lady who is throwing a party in her home um because she has just um she has just uh earned the position of a uh, shadow minister of health uh in parliament 
and she is having her friends over. So she's there with her husband. And then, you know, a few different couple friends come over. Patricia Clarkson is there uh, with her boyfriend, played by Bruno Ganz, best known as the person who played Hitler in Downfall, the movie that inspired <laughs> all those memes. Uh, this time he's also playing a German, um, but he this is more of a new age philosopher, uh, which I didn't think was a thing in Germany. Oh, yeah. Then we have a lesbian couple played by uh, Sarah Paulson's former sugar mama, Cherry Jones, mm-hmm. and the great Emily Mortimer, <laughs> and uh, of, of, of avian bone syndrome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Killian Murphy, who, right. who is, shows up by himself, and uh, there are references, many references made to his beautiful wife, who we don't see. And let me just say this about Killian Murphy in this movie. This is a man who should only be filmed in black and white because holy shit. Does oh, he... yeah, he has like a, he has really dark hair and like a very... He looks so stunning mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he looks like, he looks like he's dressed in Tom Ford. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. his hair, his bone structure. Shadows on his cheekbones. Yes. He photographs like a dream in black and white. Um, and you know, I don't always have nice things to say about him because he was very rude when I did an interview with him some mm, years ago, mm-hmm. but he looks exquisite in this. Everyone looks great in black and white, but he in particular does. So anyway, so everyone gets together and then everyone kind of has their own storyline that kind of plays out. Like Patricia Clarkson is, you know, on the verge of breaking up with her boyfriend who she hates and who she repeatedly tells that she hates. Uh, Sherry Jones and um, Ellie Mortimer are they find out that they are expecting triplets Mm. Uh, and so they're preparing for that and then we have um, we see that Kristen Scott Thomas is also texting and phone calling with some sort of lover that she has on the side Uh, but you know we don't know who it is we don't see a name we don't hear a voice and uh, then everything kind of stops dead in its tracks whenever uh, her, Chris and Scott Thomas's husband, uh, deci- uh, to play by Timothy Spall, decides to announce fairly abruptly that A, he is dying of cancer and that he'll be dead very soon. And after letting that sink in, that B, for the remainder of his life, he will be leaving his wife to be with another woman. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and then everyone just spins out. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. then you know more. You know, revelations are made, and uh, and it, the whole thing is just it feels bogus. It just feels bogus. There's not a believable action or word in the entire mm. movie. The performances are all you know are all terrific. Uh, they you know they do the best with what they have, despite this just the ridiculous dialogue that they're asked to read. Is it a dark comedy? I think it aspires to be a biting satire, but of what? Mm. You know, like it's, it's, you know. Cancer. <laughs> okay. You know, that's what that that's annihilation have in common. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it seems like it's just, you know, it's meant to be like, oh, they're hypocritical or, you know, oh, she's the, you know, shadow minister of health. But, you know, she is willing to, you know, push her husband through to a private health place instead of using NHS. Uh, or, you know, just the sort of like, oh, look, hypocrisy. People act differently in public rather than private. <gasps> you know, it's like, oh, Jesus. Oh, right. Like, well, this, right. Is, this is, you know, there. if you're going, if that's going to be your thesis, then, you know, do something else with it. 
but yeah, so it's just, it, this is written and directed by Sally Potter, a filmmaker who I generally like. She has been at it for a while. She made a great movie called Orlando many years ago with Tilda Swinton. Mm, I think it's the first mm-hmm. time I'd ever seen her. And, uh, but this is not one of her better moments. This is just like, it just, you're just like, why? Right. Uh, you know, it's a dinner party from hell movie. We've seen them done far better, most recently as The Invitation. Mm, right. So let's just say this definitely pales in comparison to that one and not just because it's in black and white. And if you want to see a biting satire, try The Square, which we like. Try The Square. Yes, which is four times the length of this movie. <laughs> you know, like a square. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what are you giving this one? Send it back? You know, I'm going to give it a consume just because like I, this cast, like I, I love every woman in this movie so much and mm-hmm. uh and of course you know patricia clarkson mm. in it, black and white in black and white also so of course but you know ravishing ravishingly beautiful uh and you know and even though her dialogue is just ass uh <laughs> you know she still gives it that 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 patty clarkson sizzle mm. uh so and kristen scott thomas is a great underutilized actress right uh emily mortimer cherry jones you know Killian Murphy's Maybe cheekbones. It's disappointing because it seems like it has so much potential um, for for a, for a comedy. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, like, it seems like it should be a lot better, especially with a, a cast that la- that that you know lousy rich. But alas, it is not much. I feel like the is it, would this be better with Patricia Clarkson in it? Is the old would this be better with Tiffany Haddish in it? That was like the the nineteen ninety nine to two thousand and two version of that game. Tiffany had <laughs> Tiffany Haddish could easily have played Patty Clarkson's role in this movie. Oh my god! So would this have been better? Yes, this also would have been Son better. Bitch. That would have been hilarious because it's the character that's basically running after Grace and Scott Thomas, trying to like talk her down out of the rafters. Oh my god, that would be so yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The party is rated R for language and drug use, and rated a frowny face for not having Tiffany Haddish in it. Speaking of the drug use, I forgot about that. Yes, so Killian Murphy's character um, keeps running into the bathroom to do blow. And he does that thing that characters only do in movies where when they do a line, they throw their head back and go. <sighs> <sighs> I'm like, okay, movies. It's like the actors like want to make you think that they've never done it before. Like, oh, I, is this how, is it, it, how looks? it looks? Yeah. Is this what it looks like? <laughs> Come on, guys. Um, uh, that's it, Jason. Those are all the movies for this week. Um, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to uh, subscribe if you enjoy the show on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, check out the website, thebinge.us. Jason is on Twitter at excessfaggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.